December 19th, 1975. Top stories in the news. No January 1st federal income tax increase. The president agrees to a compromise hammered out in Congress. Board of Higher Education insists on city university staff furloughs to help meet city budget cuts. City says it's not legal. This is Lester Smith reporting. Next news as it happens. Next scheduled news at 11 o'clock over WOR Radio 710, The Talk of New York. Conjecture. 
conjecture. And so, uh, let's get back to business here. I'm sorry. I fell into a small uh, muse there of uh, muse, not in the sense of the gods of creativity, but a small, uh, small musing. Uh, you know when, when a person is musing? Musing? You said that. You don't know the word even? Musing? You do. Of course you do. Uh, that means then that one is capable of creating a muse, I presume. One is musing. Of course, the word musing, it, it derives, it has its derivation in the original concept of a muse. And so when a person is musing, he's attempting to contact the muses. Araco, Araco, all the rest of them, you know, Aries. You know all those muses, of course. I didn't want to <laughs> pile more information on your already overburdened mind. And now before we get to underway, let us salute, if we will, please. Let us salute Charleston. South Carolina. Charleston, South Carolina, right now, we've been deluged by our spies with thousands of news items of a great controversy that's going on right now, this very minute, in Charleston, South Carolina. We salute thee. All right, for Charleston, South Carolina. We're great, great controversy, great, almost daily. There's something about this. I can't help it. I'd love to see this band. Fantastic. Come on. Come on. Blow it, buddy. There you go. Controversies, it starts kind of 
Well, low key. It's like Watergate. Do you remember Watergate? It was just a little news note, and it began to grow and grow and grow. Well, here is a later report, and this one is just from last week. The horse and diaper controversy, which has pitted carriage drivers against city officials, went into high gear as a... Uh, a rider of a horse, a man who had a horse that pulled a carriage, was hauled into court for failing to diaper his horse. He is, he is absolutely fighting it. And, and his, uh, when he was asked about why, he says, I'll tell you, a diaper destroys the dignity that a horse should have. I ain't never going to put no diaper on no horse that I got. And um, now it's, it's ended. It's, it's worse than final phase. We have not received the court's decree yet. We have not gotten the final answer on this. And uh, I, <laughs> and then they're, they're serious, by the way. This is not a joke. They're very serious. Now, if you can imagine going down to Central Park and all those horses that are standing down there standing around wearing diapers, well, uh, wouldn't it take a little bit off the whole thing going down there? Over, uh, let's put it this way. We'll put a little something on it, right? That shouldn't be there. I mean, you know, the next thing's going to happen is that there's going to be there's going to have to be an ordinance passed them because you know squirrels run around no pants at all on and uh, when you know how they are they they just do what they do wherever they want to do it they they don't they don't bother <laughs> and and uh, you know this whole this whole controversy fascinates me because because you know, let's face it uh, there is a point that these people have there are certain people that are terribly offended by. Uh, by the mere fact that animals don't seem to be conscious of their uh, total nakedness. They don't. And it can get embarrassing at times. I don't know whether you've ever gone to the zoo, but I've had uh, some very embarrassing moments in zoos. I, I, was, uh, I was about 14 years old, and I took this, yeah, I took this girl out. I had a thing. You know when you're 14, you know, you, you get this thing on a girl. Did you, you ever have that happen? You get a thing on a girl when you're about 14, you can see her? walking down the street, and every time she'd walk, your mind would get clouded up. And, uh, oh, didn't you ever have that happen to you, Will? <laughs> Come on, man, you can tell us. <laughs> and, well, it's, uh, it's true. Uh, uh, the opposite sex tends to cloud your mind at times. And I, I, you know, I presume that happens with both sides of the sexes. I'm uh, having only one sex myself. I can only speak for my group. Uh, but I can tell you that... Uh, but it's very common for a man to, you know, suddenly get smitten and his mind just clouds and it gets, you know, it gets all foggy. And uh, you don't think straight sometimes. And I was with this girl. We went to the Brookfield Zoo. And I took her there. I was, you know, playing a big thing there. And Brookfield Zoo is a big zoo outside Chicago. And that's a great place for a date. Uh, I mean, it's cheap, first of all. You know, it's... A, because yeah. <laughs> most of the time you spend you just walking around looking at camels, but it's uh, it's kind of romantic too. See, because they have these pandas there. Now, for those of you who have never seen a panda, uh, panda was the biggest exhibit of all at the Brookfield Zoo. They had this panda named Su Ling. Remember the name of it even? And uh, people would you know stand by the hour and just stand and look at the panda. Well, that gets kind of dull because I don't know whether you've ever looked at a panda yourself. Uh, pandas are notoriously uh, non—let's uh, put it this way—they're uh, lethargic animals. And a panda actually would spend more time just 
hanging on a branch sleeping than my Uncle Carl did. And Uncle Carl slept for over three months one year. And, uh, yeah, yeah, well, wait a minute. Uh, don't laugh at this. I would like to salute another uh, person uh, who has risen above the ordinary muck and mire of mankind, the late Turkey Gurkey. You remember Turkey Gurkey? Turkey Gurkey was a man who achieved considerable fame in America just a couple years ago. He just passed away last year, the year before, and it was a big old bit on him in the Times. And when I was a kid, Turkey Gurkey was a big celebrity in the Midwest for only one reason. Turkey Gurkey was sensible. That's enough to make a man a celebrity. It's often enough to get a, get a man shot. I mean, when you bring sense into, <laughs> into chaos, I mean, it just doesn't work. Right, Will? I mean, you all, oh, come on. Nothing makes, 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 a, makes a raging bull angrier than to bring sanity to bear. And uh, nevertheless, Turkey, if for those of you... I, all right, I'm going to ask... Uh, I'm just going to throw it out there for, for the argument there that, uh, that maybe you remember, maybe you don't. Who was Turkey Gurkey? We will... He, he just passed away. And, uh, boy, the way he lived, I'd have thought he'd live forever. But uh, we would like to now put, uh, put forth that, uh, that proposition. The true celebrity is rarely remembered. It is only artificial theme that people remember. Who was Turkey Gurkey? And we will award you a brass figurey with bronze oak leaf palm with aluminum crossbows if you can identify who Turkey Gurkey was. That's a great name, isn't it? <laughs> Turkey Gurkey. Well, I call him Turkey Gurkey because his name was Gurkey. See, and it just sort of rhymed with turkey. He did not raise turkeys. If you're, by, by the way, do you know anything about raising turkeys? Uh-huh. Well, I sort of thought. This is W.O.R. New York. It reminds me. <laughs> we know all about turkeys. All right. Hit the button there, will you please? Hey, listen. Uh, uh, getting back to the show here, if I may, just a moment ago. I left the show. It seems like a week and a half back. But uh, just for the record, I have to go on record here saying this. Because, uh, uh, again, this is uh, coming up to the end of the year. We have a lot of loose ends to tie up. And I've been remiss. I haven't put many things in the time capsule lately. And uh, this is going into the time capsule. Uh, here we are just about on the very edge of the eve of our bicentennial celebration, right? 1976, is that it? That's right. 200 years ago, all these guys went around and did this stuff and uh, brought about all the great things of our time, like uh, Utopia Parkway, and uh, just think, if it wasn't for the Founding Fathers, we would not have the George Washington Bridge toll, toll booths. Uh, we wouldn't have any of that wonderful stuff. And, uh, and I, I, you know, I, have you ever thought how, what kind of a thought that would, would uh, you know, would just charge through a, a guy's head if he was a revolutionary soldier, say, uh, you know, a PFC, let's say, for argument's sake. That's not, that's not just your basic... Uh, soldier, he's gotten a stripe, he's uh, been around a little bit, and, you know, he put in his, uh, paid his dues at Valley Forge, and, and uh, now he's uh, he's working his way, trying to get a little rank, you know, uh, he ho he's hoping to, to retire from the Continental Army with at least a T5 rating, and uh, here it is, he's, uh, he's suddenly brought back 
uh, let's assume that he did get his corporal. He he made corporal. And uh, did you know that most of the uh, revolutionary soldiers never were uniformed? Did you know that? Did you, well? You did know that. Well, most people don't, because whenever we show pictures of Revolutionary War soldiers, we always show them in that, that uniform, uh, which was uh, which was the official uniform, but very few of them actually had it. And the only ones who really had it were the officers, who went out and bought them themselves. They didn't get them, you know, they didn't go to the uh, QM and uh, draw that great-looking hat there with the rose on the side and all that stuff. They they had a design. It was a buff color. Did you know that our, our uniform in those days was a beautiful sky blue, kind of a blue and buff. Uh, that was the color. And they had big uh, buff lapels. And, uh, and uh, you know, there's a lot of nostalgia for that style these days. You see, you know, you get down to Barney's, and uh, you'll see uh, a lot of stuff hanging that, a, you know, an average revolutionary dandy would have, uh, nothing would have, uh, uh, that wouldn't have thrown them at all. You know, all we need is the ruffles at the throat and uh, the ruffles at the wrist. Although you can get those too, you know. I'm talking about the real big ruffles and, and uh, all this stuff. And uh, can you imagine what a revolutionary soldier would think if uh, he were brought back just magically? Here he is. He's, we always think of revolutionary soldiers as, as kind of uh, official-looking people who were, uh, you know, square-jawed Yankee farmers. But you know, the average revolutionary war officer was about 22 years old, 23 years old, something like that. In fact, uh, Aaron Burr, who was a colonel, you know, he was a colonel you know, before, before he turned into Aaron Burr, but uh, he was a colonel at, at, uh, at, at the age of 21. He was a colonel. And uh, the Marquis de Lafayette, for example, was a general, a full general at something like 23 or 24. But uh, they, they were different in those days. See, a guy was considered already grown up at nine. Yes, that's right. Uh, today, a man is not considered fully a mature, grown-up, working, walking-around adult till he's in his mid-60s. Uh, up to that point, he's, uh, <laughs> you know, that's, uh, that's the forever see. That's called Dorian Gray, revisited. But uh, nevertheless, uh, can you imagine if you took a, a Revolutionary War soldier who spent a lot of time in combat and stuff and who had spent a lot of time moving over the countryside uh, he, he, he knew what Jersey looked like, and he, you know, Jersey was named after the uh, the section in England called Jersey. This was New Jersey over here, and uh, that part of England was, of course, Jersey. There's a, there's a there's a part of England called Jersey. It's one of the uh, I believe it's a, a section or a county, and this was New Jersey. Well, it's because this country looked like that over there. Uh, that Jersey countryside in England. Now, if he was dropped down, say, for example, argument's sake, just about around Trenton. Now, you know, there was a lot of Revolutionary War went on around Trenton, you know, crossing the Delaware and all that stuff. They crossed just about this time of the year, you know. It was just before Christmas Eve. As a matter of fact, it was Christmas Eve, wasn't it? That, uh, that they crossed the Delaware, and they caught all those guys sound asleep over there, the Hessians. And uh, you know the Hessians have not have not outlived that yet. They haven't. Uh, they haven't. Uh, that's, that's a terrible blot on Hessians. And uh, I visited Hesse at one time. You know where that is? There are Hessians. You know. Oh yes. <laughs> and, and, and and they're still embarrassed about it. Uh, you go to you know you go to you know the, the homeland of the Hessians, 
and you walk around the streets there, they don't talk much about the American Revolution because they really blew it that night. It was just terrible. And uh, those Hessians were all, uh, you know, sitting around eating rum cake, and and uh, that was in effect a company party that night. They were eating rum cake and uh, and uh, having fancy Christmas cookies, and they were drinking rum, and they were sound asleep. And the next thing you know, they got hit. Uh, Washington crossed the Delaware and zapped. And it was a you know it was a, it was a true commando raid is what it was, and uh, they they had these boats, farmers' boats. Now, what if a soldier was brought back, and he was dropped right outside of Trenton on U.S. One, right there past the McDonald's, and uh, <laughs> a place where he did camp. See, I mean, can you imagine the unbelievable? Uh, emotion he would I wonder if he would recognize the countryside even I would suggest yes because when you stop to think of it you know now think about it for a minute 200 years have passed and yet not that much has actually changed we keep thinking you know changes but change is a basic article of faith in America you, know, you believe everything's all different it's different than it used to be last week and yet the same hills are there. Do you know that the hills, all the hills you see around, that river was still there. The Delaware River was the Delaware River uh, that he saw. It hasn't changed that greatly. Uh, the hills, the, the, the green fields that go out towards the hills outside of Trenton look very much the way they must have looked uh, at the time of the Revolution. And... Uh, you know, have you ever thought about that? You know, you see the hill there? Just a hill. Uh, let's say a hill outside of uh, Trenton. There's little hills there. That those hills actually saw George Washington. That if, <laughs> you know, that, that if this hill was alive and could say something, it actually saw Washington and all that crowd go uh, trudging by in the snow. And uh, they, they brought it all about. They brought all these great things. And so since it is that time of the year, yeah, we've got to got to get a lot of things straightened out here. We're coming into the first uh, uh, 1976 will be the beginning of the the bicentennial celebration, and yet I don't hear much about uh, you know. There, there's a lot of talk about bicentennial stuff and so on, but the real things seem to avoid being brought up in a way. For example, good good argument here. Uh, you know, it was believed at the time, in nineteen in, in in seventeen seventy-six, that Americans abhorred everything British. And yet, uh, I'm going to put this down for the record: there has never been a country that has so much fallen in love with another country as our current love affair with England. Anything England? Have you noticed all the new big smash hit movies are English? Barry Lyndon. The man who was here, here the man who would be king, which is another big smash hit movie. Uh, Kipling, of all things, it never occurred to. Uh, oh yeah, they're going to make. I'm sure they'll have to remake Gunga Din. Uh, sure, can't you just see uh, Robert Redford uh, carrying water, and uh, Paul Newman as a British colonel, and they're in India. We'll have to remake the Khyber Rifles. And uh, if you watch Channel 13, that's practically totally a British channel. Any hour of the day and night, you're going to find upstairs, downstairs at the Whoopi, 
you're going to find Monty Python and his flying ding-dongs. And uh, <laughs> we are fantastically in love with England. And, uh, and you know that there's a big movement afoot in the country. It's, it's getting it's getting a, a kind of a snowball effect. There's a movement in the in the country which you may not have heard about yet, and that is to repudiate the American Revolution. In other words, to rejoin England. Now, that's the ultimate. Yeah, it is kind of weird and sick, but <laughs> that's that's going on. But there are a lot of guys that says we made a terrible mistake. Just you realize that if we had remained in England, that by now Norman Mailer would be at least an earl. He might. He, he certainly would be a viscount. Uh, every one of us secretly has a fantastic thing about royalty. Wouldn't you just? Wouldn't you like to get a, a letter in the mail? And it's very official. It's got seals all over it. And uh, you, you know, you go to the mailbox, and instead of your usual uh, junk mail that you get from the uh, from Western Auto or from Radio Shack, uh, you know, the Spring Flyer and all that stuff, there is an official letter on parchment in a great big official parchment envelope. It has a big red melted wax seal on the outside. It's been stamped like that, and right in the middle of the seal. It's this tremendous crest with birds and eagles and ribbons hanging out of it. And uh, you could see that the letter was sent by his or her majesty. You know, the, the queen. You understand that the queen does not have to put stamps on her mail. Did you know that? Or if the, if the queen wants to send you a letter, she does not put a stamp. She doesn't go out and send for a two-shilling stamp or whatever it is and stick a stamp on it. No, no. The queen sends you a letter, and it is the queen or the king's prerogative to have this mail delivered immediately by messenger. Did you know that? Well, the president doesn't put stamps on his mail either. Oh, you didn't know that? Well, all right. I'm <laughs> sorry, but it is true. That's, that's called the franking privilege. And you know where the franking privilege came from. The word frank came from France. Uh, it was a... It was a it was an imperial prerogative that any mail sent out from the emperor's office, that would be Napoleon, uh, it was automatically delivered. There was no no stamps put on it, and that was called the French style, the Franco style, Franc. Uh, so the, the franking privilege today is extended to the queen. So you go down there, wouldn't you feel great? You go down there, and you open up your mail, and there's this fantastic letter there. And it's got a big gold seal with red eagles on it. It's got ribbons. And uh, you open it up very carefully, and you pull out this parchment scroll. You know, it's really great. When you pull it out, it uh, rolls up, and it's got a seal on the bottom. And it says, by order of Her Majesty the Queen, you, Charles W. Bullard, also known as Charlie Chuck Bullard, are hereby knighted and shall henceforth be known as Sir Charles of Staten Island. Oh. Oh. <laughs> you get an official crest. <laughs> you could have right on the side of your pinto, your, your official crest, Sir Charles of Staten Island. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh, oh. Gee. oh, wow. <laughs> That's almost as good as winning a high school letter. I'll tell you. Oh, man, no wonder we're in love with royalty. No wonder. Sometime ask me about the time that my Uncle Charles made wine himself down in the basement. Half the neighborhood was in flames after three weeks. 
And uh, <laughs> I'm serious, though. Have you ever had a friend of yours who made his own stuff? I notice Herb doesn't doesn't mention you. You never knew people like that. Did you ever? Do you mean you made your own stuff? Listen, I, I I'm I'm very serious. One time I'm out playing ball. Fantastic moment happened in uh, in our neighborhood one day, and it was a hot summer day. Now I shouldn't bring this up in this time of year, but it was a hot, really a hot summer day. And about six of us guys were out knocking a ball around out in the street, you know, hitting out flies. And uh, we had this tape ball that was about oh maybe forty, fifty years old, and uh, it had about maybe thirty or forty pounds of tape on it. And they were knocking this tape ball. I'll tell you one of the reasons why so many of the ball players of the past were really great sluggers. I mean, guys like uh, Joe DiMaggio and Mickey Mantle could hit a ball from here to Queens. It's because he grew up in an era when kids played with taped baseballs. And to hit a baseball more than 40 feet, it took muscles, I mean, on the top of your muscles. I mean, the, the average kid today, he, you know, he plays ball in the, in the Little League. And those kids have got better equipment in most little leagues than the Chicago White Sox had when I was a kid. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I remember one day going out to, to the White Sox ball game once when I was a patrol boy. They let you in free. And uh, we're sitting out there in the outfield, and Mike Krevich ran into the wall. He was chasing a fly ball. He ran into the wall. He was knocked silly, and he got up and staggered around. And the uh, manager came out and talked to him, and he finally decided he had to go out of the ball game. So when he left, he walked out of center field, kind of staggering, and the outfielder that was replacing him was named Rip Radcliffe. Radcliffe walked past him, and Cleavage gave him his glove. Okay? <laughs> you don't see the significance of that. But, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> That's right. They had nine gloves on the team. And, uh, you know, whoever, whoever was playing used the glove. So, uh, nevertheless, I'm going to say, I think one of the reasons why these guys could hit is they were hitting the tape ball. And uh, they also used a bat that weighed maybe 80, 90 pounds. And so, uh, you know, it took real muscles just to be a ball player. So we're out there knocking flies around. Everything's quiet and the birds are singing. When all of a sudden, in the distance, you hear this clump, just a clump. Something blew up. And... You know, a couple... We had a lot of explosions in our neighborhood because we lived around the steel mills and stuff. Stuff was blowing up all the time. Nobody paying attention. Then it was... <laughs> Mr. Anderson's house was blowing up by degrees. Mr. Anderson was at work, and he had, uh, he had left his wine bottler sitting out there in the basement with all his homemade wine, and the stuff was blowing up bottle by bottle. And... Uh, at that point, I learned is that there was a difference between the vintage wines and the wines that Mr. Anderson made. Once again, we return to reality. And if you would like to take this show in, it's worth, it's worth taking in, I would suggest you give him a call at uh, 247-0393. Just call up and say you're going to be there. Going out to sea with Finch. If you notice that the Benchleys have a real hang-up on the sea, even the old man was writing about it. Look at that thing. He has sharks in his show, too, by the way. Much more deadly than that plastic one. And so that uh, ends our Christmas salute to Hugh Downs. 
And uh, next week, we'll uh, take up another great American and we'll trace his career through trials and tribulations. in your neighborhood. There are over 47 successful Gene Shepherds now working all across the country on commission basis. Uh, I happen to own the New York franchise. The original Shepherd is working in Albuquerque now and is doing quite well. If you would like to uh, own a Gene Shepherd franchise, send your name and address to Golden Opportunity in care of the station. You must be over 21 and a qualified art student.